Psalm chapter 81, the 81st Psalm. Why don't you stand with me and we'll read this Psalm of 16 verses and then we'll go through it together. I'm reading out of the New King James Version of God's Word. To the chief musician on an instrument of Gath, a psalm of Asaph. Sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon on our solemn feast day. For this is a statute for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob. This he established in Joseph as a testimony when he went through the land of Egypt where I heard a language I did not understand. I removed his shoulder from the burden. Note, note the quotation marks here. This is God speaking here. I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the baskets. You called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will listen to me, there shall be no foreign god among you, nor shall you worship any foreign god. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. He would have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock I would have satisfied you. And Father, we pray that as we look at this 81st Psalm, Lord, that you will speak to our hearts. Pour your spirit out upon us, Lord. Might he do his work of giving us understanding of opening the eyes of our hearts, Lord. That he would give us the wisdom and discerning hearts to be able to uh, know how to apply these truths to our own lives. Lord, speak to our hearts tonight, we pray. Have your way. And God, please, we ask, continue your work as you mold us into the image of your Son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You guys may be seated. Psalm 81. We begin here with the uh, inscription. In fact, um, before the inscription, you know how, I mean, you guys in your Bibles, you have right below Psalm 81, it's, it's got something that kind of summarizes what the psalm is all about. Uh, on, in my Bible, it says, God's plea for Israel's obedience. Um, as obviously, as we just read through the psalm, 
um, the Lord is admonishing his people because they've not been obedient. But he asks them to be so, of course. He commands them to be so, really. Uh, but the inscription reads this, To the chief musician on an instrument of Gath, a psalm of Asaph. You know, um, so some common words for the inscription here. Again, a psalm of Asaph. Uh, we're going to be looking at psalms of Asaph uh, for two more studies after this. Psalm 82 and Psalm 83 are, are both psalms of Asaph. And that completes, I think, 11 psalms uh, together as a group here which are psalms written by Asaph or written by one of his descendants, as we've talked about uh, before. In regard to this 81st psalm, uh, there, there's really no reason to, to think that this song, psalm wasn't written by Asaph of David's time uh, because it's a psalm that applies in, 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 in many times during the history of Israel. Uh, of course, beginning with this... Uh, uh, um, uh, encouragement, exhortation to, to praise the Lord, to, to sing aloud to God our strength as that very first line reads. And then the following words about the, the, the disobedience of the people of Israel. Um, uh, he, he does, of course, re refer to the deliverance of Israel from Egypt. Uh, and, and so this could apply to any time after that. I mean, certainly the disobedience, it could apply during the time of the kings after King David, or it could apply before King David during the time of the judges, because the same kinds of things were going on there during that time of the judges, you know, uh, uh, twice in that book, and then at the end of the, the, the book of Judges in the 24th, uh, 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 24th chapter, we see that, it is written that there was no king of Israel at that time, and so everyone did what they thought was right in their own heart, you know, and, and that, that just kind of, you know, speaks about what was going on during that time, and so there was a, a, a lot of, uh, there were a lot of people who were just doing their own thing, you know, um, that just makes me think of a song back in, the, I think it was back in the 70s, you know, was it the 60s? Do your thing, do what you want to do. When, when was that? 60s, huh? Yeah. Um, I can't tell you who to sock it to, you know. You were waiting for me to say that, weren't you? Is he going to say it? Is he going to say it? <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, do your thing, you know. Um, that's, that's a mantra for groups of people who just simply don't want to be under the authority of God, quite frankly. You know, and, and, and so we, we see that, and that's what was going on during the time of the judges. So it could apply in, 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 that, in that particular way. But we will, we will read this uh, from the perspective that, that it is the Asaph of David's time who wrote it, and, and as, he, as he writes about different things that are going on in relation to idolatry or disobedience, uh, the worship of foreign gods and so forth, that certainly was happening during the time of the judges before Asaph ministered alongside of King David. So that, that's how we will approach this this evening. But we begin with this in the first five verses of Asaph writing with an encouragement to praise God. Again, let's read these. Uh, well, let's read verses one and two. 
sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. And, and so he's, he is uh, a writing of, with, with this encouragement to praise God, to, 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 to sing aloud to God our strength. Sing aloud to God our strength. C.H. Spurgeon wrote this in regard to these first couple verses. He wrote, His acts of love to us speak more loudly than any of our words of gratitude can do. No dullness should ever stupefy our psalmody or half-heartedness cause it to limp along. Sing aloud, you debtors, to sovereign grace. Your hearts are profoundly grateful. Let your voices express your thankfulness. Now, there's an encouragement for us to sing aloud. Now, I know it can be kind of difficult when there's not a lot of people around us because we think that if we're going to sing aloud, then we're going to stand out. Our voices are going to overwhelm others and people are going to hear us and I have to <gasps> I don't want them hearing me sing y you know um, I'll be honest with you while while it may not be nice to listen to some voices uh, but in the past I've I've, I've, I've known of uh, several guys who cannot carry a tune with a bucket right but they would sing loud, and it would just kind of drown everything out. So you're trying to sing along, and, and maybe it's hard to stay on tune because of this particular voice. But this guy is making a joyful noise to the Lord. may not be singing, but it's a noise, joyful noise. Here we see a joyful shout. Sing aloud to our God. Make a joyful shout to the God of Israel. And, and, and I have to be honest, I appreciate that. You know, I, I, I love to hear people sing loudly because isn't it true, don't you think this, when a person is singing loudly, that seems to be an expression that they really mean what they're singing. Doesn't, doesn't it seem that way? So, you know, if we're just singing very quietly, you know. The Word of God says, sing aloud. Sing aloud to God our strength. And, and I get the embarrassment, and I get the shyness, and I get all that. But you know, guys, we ought to be singing loudly, really, too. And, and, I, and I like what Spurgeon said there. Here he said, no dullness should ever stupefy our psalmody. That's a 19th century way of saying, you know, don't be so soft that it, that it, that, that it hinders the value of the song. You know, um, and, and no half-heartedness should cause it to limp along. You know, let's not sing half-heartedly. So, at the end of the service, when we close with the song, we ought to be singing loud. Okay? Okay, guys? Okay?
All right. Blow the trumpet, verse 3. Now, we don't have any trumpets in here, but uh, obviously it was a part of the worship. And, and really what, what this is a reference to is what would take place at certain parts of the year. Uh, blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon on our solemn feast. So this is speaking about the introduction, of the blowing of the trumpets to, to, to indicate that there was a feast day gathering kind of a thing. It was a, it was, it was a call to gather the blowing of the trumpet. It would take place on a monthly basis and whenever a feast day had come. And, 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 and this is what is meant by, for this is a statute for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob, that this he established in Joseph as a testimony. When he went through the land of Egypt, where I heard a language I did not understand. So it could very well be, and it would seem that this would be the case, that this blowing of the trumpet, while, while like I said, it, it would take place on, on a monthly basis at, at the first of the month is when that would happen, uh, particularly in uh, the uh, seventh month of Israel's calendar. It's, it was, a, it was a, a, a regarded a holy month because of the things that were taking place during the month, you know, this the first day of the seventh month is the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, you get to the tenth day of that month, it's the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Uh, you get to the fifteenth day of that month, it is a Feast of Tabernacles. It, it is regarded the holiest of all months, particularly because of the Day of Atonement. And, and, and we know that God gave to Israel feasts, Feast days and feast celebrations, sometimes a week, uh, a week long. That would be the case with, with the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, in order that they might be called to remember what God had done for them. What God had done for their nation in the past. It, it's a time of remembrance. Even as we celebrate communion, we're going to be doing that later. It's a time of remembrance. God gives that to us so that we can remember what God has done for us, Right? We can recall his blessing to us. And so th that's what the feasts were all about. And so uh, uh, Asaph is writing, blow the trumpet. Let's celebrate what God has done for us. Th that's really the idea that, that, that is here. And, and we see there in verse 5 uh, an indication that he, as he speaks of Egypt here, uh, when he went through the land of Egypt, when I heard a language I did not understand, he speaks about Joseph. That, that's a term being used for, to, to, desi to designate Israel. You know, uh, Joseph, we know his role in, in Egypt, his role in, in basically saving Israel uh, and, 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 and all that took place and all of his story and so forth. But uh, it's just another name be, being used, substituting for the people of God uh, uh, in this context. Whatever language I didn't understand, you know, the people of Israel uh, not understanding what, what uh, uh, the, the language is. Now, after a time, we know that ev beginning in the time of Joseph, they spent about 430 years there in Egypt. So after a few years, they began to understand, but this seemed to be a reference to when they first perhaps got there and were saved through the, the ministry of Joseph.
But moving forward, we see verses 6 and 7, these words are removed. God, God is speaking here. I, I mentioned as we were reading through earlier, note the, the quotation marks here in the beginning uh, and, and continuing on through the rest of the psalm. God is speaking here. Uh, I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the baskets. Just a, a, a reference to the deliverance that God gave the people of Israel from Egypt. This is a, a reference. Uh, remove his shoulder from the burden, his hands freed from the baskets, and, and so forth. And then verse 7, some very sp specific things speak, speak, uh, spoken of here. You called in trouble, and I delivered you. You called in trouble, and I delivered you. So, so, so God, through Asaph, speaking to the people about the reality of whenever they would call on him, he delivered. And specifically at the time while they were in Egypt, they cried out to him and he delivered them. And, and, and we know that the people of God, the, the, the people of Israel, were called on a regular basis through the, 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 the writings of, of, of the New Testament, whether it's the writings of Moses, the, in the Psalms, uh, the, the prophets. So many references made to the fact that God would say, I am the God of Israel who delivered you from Egypt. So many references to that. You know, and we as Christians, we, we have the same thing going for us too. Now, not that we were delivered from Egypt, but we know that Egypt is a type of bondage. And every time we, 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 we consider who we are in the Lord and we look to him, I mean, Jesus speaks to our hearts saying, I am your Lord and Savior who died on the cross for your sin, delivering you from the bondage of it and the penalty of it as well. That's who we are, right? That's where we find our identity in Jesus at the cross of Christ. And so it's something that, I mean, and that is obviously is why God gave us a memorial called Communion. To remember that, that, has, that needs to be always in our minds. And what that will do, what that should do, is give our hearts, or fill our hearts with thanksgiving. Fill our hearts with, with gratitude to God for what he's done for us. Knowing that it, 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 it was an act of mercy and grace on his part to do what he did. None of us could, have, could earn it. None of us deserve it. And yet he did it because he loves us. For God so loved the, wor the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? And so that, that's, kinda, that, that's our equivalent to the feasts of the Old Testament, remembering what God has done for us. And yet on an individual basis, you know, uh, one of the things that, that we'll do, we, we celebrate birthdays, we celebrate anniversaries, we celebrate a lot, of, a lot of dates. There are dates on our calendars, you know, and, um, you know, do we remember the, the, the day that we got saved? You know, do we celebrate that? 
You know what I mean? I mean, that is something that, that, that would be kind of a cool thing to do. You know, um, uh, we've, we've got our birthdays. Do we have our born-again birthdays that we celebrate? You know, um, that ought to be a big one. <laughs> you know, but anyway, but the memorials that God gives to us, and, and again, communion uh, it, it really applies to us. But going on here in verse 7, uh, again, you called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Selah. Now, Asaph just mentions two different things that took place in the wilderness, two references. Um, and he says, think about this for a moment. Just think about this. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. That most likely is a reference to Mount Sinai when the Lord God called Moses to go up to the mountain, leaving the people of Israel down at the foot of the mountain and so forth. He set the boundaries. You can't come up and everything the Lord told them. And, and they were down there as, as he came up. But in, in Exodus 19, verses 16 to 20, we see these words. I know it sh should be up here. Yeah, there you go. Let's just follow along as I read. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. So they knew that God was going to show up on the mountain. Moses had been called to go up and they see this sight. They, they hear the thunder. They, 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 they feel the, the, the quaking and I mean, we're going to see this going on. Let's go in verse 17. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. So it wasn't, there wasn't clouds, it was smoke. And the smoke was ascending like from a furnace because of God's presence. As it says there, he, he uh, appeared on the mountain uh, in fire. He descended upon it in fire. In verse 19, again, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. So you got the mountain shaking you got the, the smoke, you got the fire, you've got the, 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 the thunder, you got the lightning. I mean, it's, it scared these guys. Just the very awesome presence of God was so frightening to them. And no wonder, I mean, we would have been the same way. You know, a little bit later we see that, that the, the people told Moses, we'll stay down here, we're good with that after having witnessed this, you go up and talk to him, come back, and you just tell us what he said, okay? You know, I mean, th that's basically what they did because of the fear and, and the awesomeness of the presence of God. In verse 19, 
in that passage of Exodus 19. And when, the and when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. So God spoke to him. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. Just an incredibly frightening scene for everybody. But this is probably what is being referenced to here by Asaph. The reality of the fact that God answered in this secret place of thunder. You know, it, it was just a frightening thing for them. Then in, in the following line, I tested you at the waters of Meribah. In Exodus also, but in chapter 17, a couple chapters before, we read in verses 4 through 7. And this is after the people were complaining to Moses about the fact that they were thirsty. They didn't have anything to drink, you know, and then they just pulled the line. What did you do, bring us out here because there's no graves left in Egypt, that kind of a thing? And all the things that they did in complaining against Israel, against Moses, excuse me, against Moses. And then verse 4 in Exodus 17, so Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Well, if, if they had known anything about Bob Dylan, they would have known that everybody must get stoned. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had to say that. And the Lord, <laughs> and the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Remember he struck the river uh, with, with, with uh, the Nile River with the, the rod. What happened? Turned into blood, right? Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in, in Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah. Okay, that's not, that's not a place where they make tamales, okay? <laughs> I just want to get that clear. Not, not that kind of Massah. And Meribah, because of the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying... Is the Lord among us or not? Is he among us or not? They, they, they felt like he had deserted them because they were out there in this wilderness. Um, so they tested him. As we see there, that those are the words that Asaph uses. They tested, uh, or, or I tested you, I should say. God tested them at the waters of Meribah. And yet he provided for them, didn't he? Even in their complaining spirit, he provided for them. Now we're going to see later that they complain in the same way, and Moses gets so frustrated with them, and, and, and later we see that, that uh, the Lord tells Moses, speak to the rock, and the water will come forth. Moses strikes the rock twice because he's frustrated with the people, and uh, he gets, he gets uh, punished fairly severely for that. Because he misrepresented God by striking the rock rather than speaking to the rock like God said. I mean, he was, 
He, he disobeyed God and he misrepresented God, causing the people to think that God was angry with them because he was angry. So he was not allowed to go into the promised land because of that. That's pretty serious stuff. But think about it, though. Think about a, you know, and, and we, we don't know how large this rock was. We, we don't know what kind, size of a boulder it may have been. You know, we, we, we simply don't know. But there is the rock. He strikes it and water starts gushing out of it. You know, uh, enough water to satisfy the thirst of a couple million people. It's not, it, was, it wasn't just a, 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 a hike with the family and a few friends. It was a couple million people. Probably that was there at this particular point in time. So it's just a crazy thing what we see the Lord doing for them. But he supplied their need. And so we see the beginning of verse 7, you called in trouble and I delivered you. He meets every single need. Now, now verse 8. Now he's going to start admonishing them. And as he says there, verse 8, Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you, O Israel, if you will listen to me. So, so he, he begins to turn here. He, he, he talks about the things that he's done, the deliverance from, from Egypt and so forth, the, the reality of, of the, uh, the, the feasts that are to be done to remember what God had done, celebrating and thankfulness to the Lord, right? But then here, he's going to be admonishing them for their idolatry. Going on, there shall be no foreign God among you. Of course, we see that in Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 3, the very first of all the, uh, of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Nor shall you worship any foreign god. We're to worship God alone, as we see there in verse 9. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Let's stop there. No foreign God among you. We see the command there in Exodus 20, verse 3, as I just quoted. The first of the Ten Commandments. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 21, we see the Lord speaking through Moses, but the Lord saying, And you shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Then the Lord should be all capitalized letters. That's his, Yahweh, that's his name, Yahweh. I am Yahweh. He's reminding them of who he is, but he says, You shall not uh, um, let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech. And Molech was one of the gods of the people uh, in, in the land to whom the people sacrificed their children in a fire. What they would do is they, they, they would have the, the idol Molech and he would have his hand, his, the, the idol was made in such a way that his hands would be out like this, made of iron, and they would put a fire at the bottom of this iron uh, um, statue, uh, iron idol, it would get red hot and then they would place a child in the arms of Molech. That's how the child would be sacrificed. Horrific. Horrific. That's what they would do. 
So, so God tells them, you're not to do any of this. I am Yahweh. In the time of the Judges, Judges chapter 10, verse 6, we see these words. Then the children of Israel again, so this is kind of typical of what would take place here during the time of the Judges. There were, there were seven different cycles uh, of, of the people worshiping God, you know, then they grew complacent and began, began to again do evil in the sight of the Lord. This is how it's described here. Uh, they again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. They would grow complacent and do this, allow for the worship of these other gods and serving them, forsaking their own God and serving these other gods, which are not gods at all, right? And then as a result of that, the, the Lord would allow the, you know, the, the Ammonites or, or, or the Midianites or whomever it would to come in and basically uh, rule them for a period of time they would grow weary and cry out to God and God would hear and send another judge delivering them and then they would worship him out of thankfulness for a while but then they'd grow complacent again and then the cycle would take place all again. Well, this is exactly what they did. They, they worshiped the other gods even as the Lord had said, do not worship other gods. Later in 2 Kings, at the time of King Ahaz, it's, it's basically repeated. King Ahaz, verse 3 of 2 Kings 16, he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He was a king of Judah. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Indeed, he made his son pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel. King Solomon was the first to construct an, 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 uh, an idol uh, to, to Baal, a, a, an altar, I should say, an altar to Baal in the, temp in the temple precinct. That was just the beginning. So it began right away, right after King David. Ezekiel twenty thirty one. look at this. For when you offer your gifts and make your sons pass through the fire, you defile yourselves with all your idols even to this day. So shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel? As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. This is a few hundred years later, after the time of the judges, after the time of uh, uh, of Asaph even. But again, they're, they're making their sons pass through the fire. And then the Lord is saying, shall I be inquired of by you? You are disobeying me in this way and you're going to ask me what's up? No, you're not going to ask me anything. I'm not, that's heavy, isn't it? That's heavy. I will not be inquired of by you. Why should I hear you? 
Isaiah 1, verse 15, says this, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. As some of us tonight, we're lifting up our hands to the Lord as we worship. You will spread out your hands. I'm going to hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. You know, so this... All that had taken place, and, and, and as, as God is saying here, I'll admonish you, if you listen to me, there shall be no foreign gods among you, nor shall you worship any foreign god. And yet this is what they do, even to the point of sacrificing their own children to these foreign gods, thinking that they'll receive some sort of benefit. You know, and, you know, honestly, in, in our day today, I mean, it's been going on, for so many years, we can grow complacent to it, you know, but uh, abortion in, in our country. Abortion in our country. Going on since 1973, right? Legally, legally. And there are people who support abortion who call themselves Christians. Could it be that God has the same kind of heart toward those individuals as he expresses here in these verses I just read? I think so. Really? Really? You know, Paul the Apostle saw himself as a chief of all sinners. He, he talks about having expressed, placed his vote in favor of uh, stoning the very first martyr, Stephen. He calls himself a murderer. He didn't do it, but he voted for it. You know, I think there are those who vote for things like putting a child in the womb, putting to death a child in the womb of, of his or her mother. You know, I mean, they're complicit in, the, in their deaths. They are, they are. You know, and even as I say that, you know, I, I know that there are women, um, I'm sure a, a, at least a few women within our own church who in the past unfortunately felt pressured, felt whatever to make that kind of a choice to end the life of that child in, in her womb and have regretted it. And as I was sharing this past Sunday, we need to come alongside those, those particular women. We need to minister to them, to, to, to love them, and, 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 and let them know that the Lord forgives them. And they, they know that he does, but, you know, sometimes the guilt can just simply be there, you know. Um, but it's an evil in our culture, you know. And, and there, there are going to be, you know, in... We don't have time to get into what's going on right now with all that, but you guys know what's going on with all of it. Let's be praying that God put an end to it. But we, I, I think we, we happen to be living in a state where it's worse than any other. I think of the 50 states in our union, we're at the top of the list in terms of the worst, in terms of wanting the, the government itself, the, the governing leaders wanting to make sure that abortions are available here to anyone who might come. 
you know, and uh, we need to be in prayer big time for that. Well, verse, verse 10. Again, I am the Lord your God who brought, brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. God just, you know, speaks of who he is, you know, um, speaks of what he had stated about not worshiping foreign gods. There should be no foreign god among you. He said, oh, people, if you'd only listen, if you just simply listen, you know, um, God wants to bless his people. He, and he says here at the end of verse 10, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Open your mouth wide, ask me and I'll give it to you. What, what, do you guys get a pretty good picture in your mind with this idea of opening your mouth wide and I will fill it? Do you see something? Yeah, a bird, huh? Yeah. A baby bird that is just hatched from the egg and the mouth wide open. How the Lord made them so their mouths can go so wide. So it's like mama can't miss the, the, that mouth with that worm that she brings or whatever, you know. But, the, you know, mama's faithful to get something to eat, put it in that mouth, and that bird, is, that little newborn bird is, well, newly hatched bird, <laughs> is satisfied, Right? And it's like that. All we have to do is open our mouth toward the Lord and, and he will satisfy us. He'll give us what we need. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Let's ask him. Let's ask him. That, that makes me think about when, when, when D King David sinned with Bathsheba and, and you know committing adultery and murdering Uriah, her husband, and and. You know, he wound up marrying her, of course, we know, and he hid the sin for a while, but after about a year, the, the prophet Nathan was sent to David by God, right? And in 2 Samuel, verses, uh, chapter 12, verses 7 and 8, Nathan said to David, you are the man, that's after he gave this, this little uh, uh, kind of uh, a story about the rich man with the sheep and all, stealing his neighbor's sheep. Um, you are the man, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. And you do this. And it's as if the Lord is telling David, if you'd have just asked for what you wanted, for what you needed, you know? God is so kind and so generous to us. Then verse 11, but my people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. Gave them over to, to their own stubborn hearts. Reminds us of Romans chapter 1. In verse 24 and 25, 
Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. These who would not hear from God, these who uh, are, are without excuse because creation itself cries out the reality that there's a God who created all of this, but they would ignore it. We know this deals with the, the homosexual. He gave them up to uncleanness, just gave them up. In the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Serving the creature rather than the creator. In the different ways that we might commit idolatry, yes, that's exactly what we do. We, we serve the creature rather than the creator. Most often than not, the creature is ourselves. More often than not, it's ourselves. But what a sad place to be. What a sad place to be that God would give someone up to their own desires. Like, okay, you won't listen to me, I'll let you go. Knowing that it's to that person's own destruction. And he's tried to warn them. But if you insist, okay. And, and in that, we, we need to remember, guys, don't we? We need to remember that we have to be very careful that we don't mistake God's patience or even this idea of giving someone up. Maybe he gives us up to something. I don't know. Um, I would pray not. But the point being that, I mean, he will give people up to their own desires. Obviously, he does this. Uh, but let's not mistake that meaning that God is giving permission. You know, and, and even when we might commit sin against God and we're not necessarily sensing that he's, we're receiving some kind of consequence, kind of feeling like we're getting away with it, you know, kind of a thing. Or, you know, I mean, and we can even read that as God's permission. He's not doing anything. I guess he's okay with it, you know, that kind of thing. He's just patient. He's just patient. What a tragedy that is. Verse 13 to the, to the end of this psalm. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Oh, that they would listen. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. He would have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock I would have satisfied you. God here just 
crying. I mean, you, 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 you almost feel a, 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 his, his, his voice breaking out of, heart, out, out, you know, out of heartbreak, you know, out of heartache. You know, oh, that they would just listen to me. If, 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 if they would just simply walk in my ways. You know, that, that reminds me of Deuteronomy 5.29 when it, it, this is a, a, a verse that, that you guys know it's something that the Lord has spoken to my heart many, many years ago. But, but um, the context of this verse is that God and Moses are conversing about the children of Israel who, well, they just won't listen. They just won't listen. And the Lord says here in Deuteronomy 5.29, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Guys, God just wants things to go well with us. So he gives us some instruction. He gives us direction. He gives us direction and, and, and we look at him like he's that great killjoy in the sky. Just won't let us do stuff that we enjoy. You know, when we know, really we know, it's something that God prohibits because he doesn't want harm to come to us. But are we really willing to pay the price for the pleasure that this sin might bring? The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 11 Verses 24 to 26. It's a wonderful chapter, the, the hall of faith, right? Hebrews 11. Here, uh, the writer is speaking of Moses. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he looked to the reward. He had his eyes on heaven. He had his eyes on heaven, the presence of God, eternity with him. That's a greater, that's a greater reward. Even though I have to suffer reproach today, I have to suffer today to be called one of one of Jesus' followers. That wasn't Moses, but that's us. Consider it, considering it better than anything this world might be able to give to us. And Egypt at that time is America today in terms of economics, the richest nation in the world. There are still people who want to come here to be able to get a job and support their family and be able to kind of get ahead in life instead of just always downtrodden. But that's what Moses saw. 
He could have been the Pharaoh. But he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? It's an amazing statement. But, but Moses is cited as an example for us. Oh, God help us. Have we learned yet? Have we learned yet that just because it brings pleasure doesn't mean that it's good for us? Well, I want it, so that must mean that I have to have, I mean, I, it must be good for me, you know, kind of a thing. No, no, that's not really true. Not really true. Well, verse 14, we see God saying that, you know, if they were just walking my ways, I, I, I would go before them. I would show them favor. Their enemies would be subdued. I would turn my hand against the, their, their adversaries. And these very adversaries, the haters of, of the Lord, you know, the, the enemies of Egypt are, are, excuse me, the enemies of Israel, excuse me, the enemies of Israel are the enemies of God. And they're his haters, as we see here in verse 15, the, the, the haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him because he would show so much favor to Israel that other nations would, would be subdued under them. They would pretend submission to the God of Israel, but their fate would endure forever. Feigned submission doesn't change the heart. So they remain God's enemies. Now if the heart would change, it would be different. But pretending submission to him? No. No. And God would have even fed his people with the finest of wheat and with the honey from the rock. I would have satisfied you. You know, earlier we were talking about water from the rock. Now we see a reference to honey from the rock. You know, basically it's just a, a way of saying I would have satisfied you, you know, to the nth degree, as we would say. I would bring satisfaction to you. And not just simply satisfaction like water, but honey. Luxurious satisfaction. I mean, there, there, there's that idea that's there. I would have given you more than you just simply need. God wants to bless us. I think one of the things we see here is that God wants to bring blessing to us. Quoting from Spurgeon again, the Lord can do great things for an obedient people. When his people walk in the light of his countenance and maintain unsullied holiness, the joy and consolation which he yields them are beyond conception. He wants to bless you and he wants to bless me. Even in a world where there's such pain, a world in which there's so much trouble, a world in which there's, there, there, there is you know, evil and wickedness, you know, mass shootings that are going on around us and things of that nature, right? I mean, it's an evil and wicked place. It's an evil, wicked place. It is. But God wants to bless us. But the greatest blessing is something that, that, that I think is important for us to keep in mind is as we see in, in, in Ephesians chapter 1, in that third verse, we see that um, Paul writes about that God has already given us every spiritual blessing. 
every spiritual blessing. Walking with Jesus doesn't mean that we're going to get the car that we want, the home that we want, and the job that we want. And No. But something much greater than that. Something much greater than that. The Apostle Paul also wrote in 1 Corinthians 2.9, but as it is written, then he quotes from Isaiah 64, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Paul should have written a sailor right after that. It's got something to think about. I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Guys, we have no idea what's ahead of us. We have no idea. I mean, we, we, we see a little bit. I mean, there's not that much written in, the, in God's word about heaven. Not that much written about the new Jerusalem. Not that much written there. But the thing that's going to be great about it is the fact that God will be there. Lord Jesus will be there. We have no idea. We have no idea what it's going to be like to actually be fully in his presence in a body that is made for that and fellowshipping with him, worshiping him, serving him throughout eternity. You know, in all that he is, God, we have no idea. As Paul writes, eye has not seen nor ear heard. Let's keep focused on that thing that we can't see or that we can't hear because it's going to be wonderful, isn't it? Might that be our motivation to make it through each day? Living a life of obedience to the Lord, living a life that brings honor and glory to Him because He is worthy of it. And Father, help us. Be with us. Go before us. Lord, as we think about these things, as we consider these things, Lord, might our hearts just be overwhelmed with joy. Might our hearts be overwhelmed with joy. And, and Lord, the, what you did for us to bring this to us Lord, being the Lamb of God. Lord, you gave yourself that we might receive your life. We thank you for that. I pray, God, that you would have your way with us. And even now, as we take time to, to sing a song, as we consider the fact that we're going to soon celebrate in just a few minutes, communion. Lord, would you just touch our hearts and might our hearts truly, truly be overwhelmed with thankfulness towards you. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In your precious name we ask it. Amen. The, the ladies are going to lead us in a, in a song as we prepare our hearts for uh, communion.
in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Jesus, give me Jesus. They need them up here. Thank you. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Give me Jesus. When I When I come to die, when I come to die, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 11.23, we see these words written by the Apostle Paul. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup was a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself 
And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We're going to take a moment to just do that, to examine our own hearts before the Lord. Then I will pray, we'll partake together, and then we'll have a, a closing song. Let's just take a moment with the Lord. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful to you for what you have done. Thank you for the reminder that we have no idea what's in store for us. You do. Hebrews 12 tells us, Lord Jesus, that you, for the joy that was before you, endured the shame of the cross. The joy before you, the joy of us being with you, you being with us, fellowship with you, being together throughout all eternity, that joy. Even now, Lord, fill our hearts with joy as we thank you. Thank you for life. Thank you for hope. Thank you, Lord, for the peace that you've given us through the cross. So now, Lord, bless this time. Bless this, this bread and this cup as we partake. Lord, that our very souls will be nourished. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's partake together. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Let's all stand together. The girls are going to lead us in one last song and then dismiss us. Thank you, ladies, for serving tonight. And uh, you guys have a amen. One last song. And rem remember what I said, the last song. <laughs> Sing aloud. Sing aloud. Okay? All right. God bless you guys. We'll, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. our strength we bow down and worship him now how great how awesome is he 
and everyone sees, everyone sees, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the earth is filled with his glory, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. The earth is filled with his glory. Then worship your hands. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. We bow down and worship him now. How great. How awesome is he, ever we sing, everyone sing. Holy is the Lord, God Almighty, the earth is filled with his glory, holy is the Lord, God Almighty, the earth is filled with his glory, the earth is filled with his glory. All around, it's the anthem of the Lord's renown. It's rising up all around. It's the anthem of the Lord's renown. Together we sing.